0: The idea that we can craft a linear customer journey that a customer follows is false Um, what it has to be is a completely dynamic journey that we are reactive to through the moment
1: matt sweezy is one of the brightest minds in the marketing automation world today in fact he had the unique distinction of writing marketing automation for dummies i had the chance to sit down with him and discuss lead nurturing and the customer journey this is definitely one of my favorite episodes and it is chock full of actionable insights so I will stop talking and let Matt continue discussing his definition of the customer journey.
0: There is no longer a quote-unquote customer journey in the fact that we can dictate it. There, there is a customer journey, and such that a customer will go through series of steps and there is a progress or prog- a progression to how they find information, uh, which means it, it's completely different for every buyer at every moment. And the only way to actually express that it's through a completely dynamic marketing system, hence why you see uh, so much excitement around things such as marketing automation these days.
1: Gotcha. And in terms of nurturing leads along that journey, how do you develop a plan, uh, since it isn't linear, to address that?
0: Yeah, That's a great question. So lead nurturing programs have to be, well, first off, let's take two steps back. So when most people start off and get a lead nurturing program, what they typically do is they say, all right, I'm going to take everything that I know and I'm going to automate it. So rather than me having to send emails at these different times, I'm just going to automate it. And essentially what you get to is an automated spam cannon that gets you to a bad result just faster. What you see is the actual best use case for lead nurturing is it's a dynamic process that is reactive and proactive based on behavioral actions, such as if somebody does the following, this is how we want to respond, or that tells us, a very specific insight about that person that we can then act proactively on. Um, it's not a a person filled on a white paper. Now I send them these five pieces of content because I know if someone reads these five pieces of content, they become sales ready. Um, that's the difference between the two. If that helps out.
1: I mean, how do how do personas sort of fit in this equation? Do you view a persona as a a method to help nurture leads, or what are your what are your thoughts on personas?
0: The idea of a persona, there's two sides to it. So let's first off get to the, the, I guess, the the definition of persona. Persona is one of those words where everyone has a different definition for what it means. So if you take persona as meaning, uh, it is a representation of a person's job title that is incorrect and will will not work. Um, Content will not work for that. And the reason why is because if you follow the mathematics out of that logic, that logic says, all right, I need to have content structured to a person's job title. Uh, then you say I have multiple different products, and then you say I have multiple different steps than a buying process or a, or a buying site. And you, you multiply all those things out, and you end up with this very large number, which then puts the onus of the marketing department to create content. And this is kind of the scenario we've gotten ourselves in today. I believe the current statistic is that 16% of an annual marketing budget is just content creation. Yet 70% of that content is never utilized. And what we fail to realize is persona is behavioral-based, not job title-based. So if you use the idea of persona to say somebody exhibiting these types of behaviors and asking these types of questions will find these things helpful, then that is the correct way to use persona. But I think the easy answer is, a CEO from a a Fortune 50 or Fortune 500 or or any large company acts very differently than a CEO of an SMB. Um, And you could also then easily argue back to that point, well, I'll treat them different. And then you get back into that mathematics problem of having to create too much content. It's unsustainable. Um, But if you simply say people that have these types of questions and these types of, of behaviors it's very easy to break that down into manageable um, content creation um, requirements.
1: So say, for example, if someone uh, downloads a white paper on your website, um, and so the first interaction that they have with you presumably would be a follow-up email through your marketing automation platform. How do you sort of warm that person up? How do you sort of determine the best method with, with which that sort of first initial interaction should be?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and I didn't challenge the, the notion of email should be our first touch point. Um, so, it, it, one of the things that I'm trying to help people understand is that the modern buyer is what we call mediated. So, this is a term that comes out of a psychology textbook that was just published this year. The idea of mediated buyer means that a person has, on average, 7.4 social change. That, that statistic is for anybody with a smartphone, which is every business to business buyer that, that we come across. You didn't take that, and they had a different persona that they want to project on each one of these different social channels. Let's get back to the original idea or historical thought of the do not call list. We do not want to give people our telephone number because we do not want people to call me. Does that mean that we don't ever want to talk to somebody on the telephone? The answer is no. Uh, Many times that you'll find in a B2B sales process, there are many phone calls back and forth between the salesperson and the buyer before the deal gets done. But that means that those phone calls happen at a very specific time when that type of communication is relevant, warranted, and wanted by the buyer. Um, I'm I'm starting to push back on the idea that you proposed of, you know, should we instantly follow up with an email just to, to make a point that it may make more sense to understand having different types of relationships on different channels and when they may be more applicable. Um, You're seeing a lot of companies use social sign-on, such as if you want to download this white paper, just sign on with your Facebook or LinkedIn account rather than giving me your email address. And people are seeing that essentially what we're seeing is different methods of communication have different layers of value. Just as the the telephone has a very high level of value, it, it essentially gets to the how many filters do I have on that channel so if you call me, I don't really have any filters other than I can look into who's calling. And half the time, it just gives me a telephone number. So it's very hard for me to filter. But if you, if I give you my LinkedIn account, I don't check it all the time. It's not immediate. It does not have direct access to me like a telephone number does. And it gets filtered through algorithms. So I, it's a much lower value. I'm much more likely to give you that and communicate with you via that way. Uh, then as our relationship progresses, Then I may give you my email address so you can then have more immediate access to me. And then finally, my telephone address. So what I may say is rather than reaching instantly back out via email unless you said that you're going to send that white paper to them via email, um, think about what is appropriate to the relationship at the time and, and give that person the ability, give them the ability to opt in to the communication channel they want. That will also then give you insights into how they value your relationship and where you stack up at the time. So you will know that if they say, well, it's okay to reach me on social, but it is not okay to email me or call me yet, you don't have a deep enough relationship for that person to even be considered a quality lead. Because if somebody doesn't want to talk to you at that level, you have a lot of work to do before they will ever even give you money. Um, So it kind of can give you some insights as into how qualified or what your actual Job as a marketer is rather than it's just to give them messages. It's to build that relationship um, that they see value in, and then that's how we win the deals. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I guess it sounds like you're saying my next question was going to be: Should every lead be nurtured? But it sounds like they should be, but not in a automated way. You know, through email, they should. There should be a variety of sort of touch points with which you're you're warming them up, essentially, right?
0: Exactly. Because if you were to ask me that question, should every lead be nurtured? that would essentially follow the linear logic of nurturing, which would be anybody that does an action automatically puts them on this linear path. Um, And and it's the same, the reason we have that mentality is because that's the way everything has worked for us up to this point in time. Um, Everything that we've done has just been a basic iteration just new technology, right? So go back to 95, we got a website. Then we said, all right, now we've got a website. Now what's the problem? Well, we've got to get more people to the website. Then this thing called SEO came about. Then we started driving people to the website via SEO. We had to value those people that came to the website, so we started putting forms up. Then we started putting forms up, and then we had to create more content. Then social media, and then it just keeps iterating and iterating and iterating until we get to this point in time when those iterations no longer have the impact that, they, that is needed to meet that modern buyer because the modern buyer has changed. Um, the difference between all those previous generations and now is the amount of power that a consumer has to bypass us for information. It's never been greater than now. Um, and the statistic I always love to quote is that if a person does a Google search on their desktop device, this research has done when mobile was not the primary device, they harness more power than all of NASA had In 1969, to land a man on the moon, to do one simple search, the power that they are harnessing and their ability to get the exact right information instantaneously is so great that it changes their natural ability, what we call the heuristics of how they they teach themselves how to do all these other things. Um, And now that they can do all those things, we call that value self-discovery, they know that power uh, and they they exhibit that power and they expect that you respect that power. Um, so this thing gets into the same thing such as the average uh, page views that a person will, will, will actually experience on your website is 1.7. So many people have this same idea. But let's, let's go back to this linear idea of nurturing. Most people then still design their websites in this linear fashion where somebody comes to my home page, and then what do they click on next? Oh, they go to this page. Now I need to design this page to get to the next page. Many of us go into Google Analytics and look at like, the flow analyzer to kind of see how we can optimize the flow that's completely based off that 1995 idea. If you think about the modern idea because Google teaches people to expect instantaneous results when you ask a question, that is why that number is at 1.7. It's not cuz the attention span is 8 seconds. It's because they expect things instantly, and if you don't provide that instantly, what recourse do they have? They just go back to Google and ask a different question. Right? So they're trained. And, and then so, you know, we have to understand how this modern buyer acts. It's not in a language fashion. It's it's in a, you know, essentially they just see the internet is the place where they can find an instant answer. If we don't help them do that, they just go back to Google and, and try again.
1: So, I mean, presumably too, this is only going to, I mean, the power of the buyer is only going to increase more and more, right? I mean, so that's going to make our jobs as marketers more and more difficult. What do you think Five years down the road is the answer to the question of like how how are we going to be interacting with these folks? What's sort of the best method with which we're going to need to put out content to, to reach them?
0: Yeah, so so I'm going, to, I'm going to push back once again. So I don't think the I think the power of the buyer has reached its limit. Huh. Okay. Um, the only thing that the only thing that can happen is it can get faster. Right. So mobile devices are ubiquitous. Most people have multiple devices. Uh, The speed of the internet is so fast that really if it speeds up any faster, it's not necessarily going to make that much of a difference to a consumer. It's already so, it's already faster than than they can harness. Um, The information and the, the systems that they have, Google is extremely, extremely powerful. I don't think any increases in its power of search capabilities really will make that much of a difference. I think all the major differences have been made. Right, the, the power's been shifted. I think for us as marketers, what we have to realize is the next big problem is not that they have more power; it's that there is now more friction to get to them. So I think what we fail to realize is, this, is the idea of noise. Right. So what we, what the, the initial problem we have is the consumers now have all the power, which means they do their own research. We can't, you know, take them down linear paths like we used to. That was problem number one. That that already happened. The bigger problem that we need to realize, which is coming about right now, is this idea of what I call limitless or infinite noise. Essentially, every person in the world has access and has the ability to create, distribute, and consume content. That happened in 2012, right? The CDC reports that more people in the world have access to a cell phone than have access to clean drinking water or electricity. It's the first time in the world that people, individuals, become the larger creators of content than businesses. Now, how do we consume that content? Well, let's go back to that concept of our mediated person. We consume that content across 7.4 different social channels on average. We now need to realize that by 2020, there will be 7 to 1 connected devices to humans. Each one of those devices can create, distribute, but also mediate that information. So as noise goes, gr- grows greater, we will naturally create more filters for us to manage inside of that noise. So we will have more barriers for businesses to have to break through to actually reach the consumer. So it's not that the consumer is going to have more power. it's There's going to be more friction to reaching them. And that's going to mean that we're going to have to understand having different types of relationships and more human relationships across more places, which really gets us into this idea of how are businesses going to do that and who's going to do that is it going to be sales or is it going to be marketing? Because it has to be a human that does these things. No social channel will, will allow for you to automatically nurture somebody on those social channels. Right? You cannot automatically tweet somebody. You cannot automatically DM somebody. You can't auto-post into people's profiles. Um, so a human will have to be doing those things. And so you're seeing this idea of social selling come about as kind of the forefront way that we're, we're seeing companies do that. Um, And I'm proposing in my new book this idea of the new middle. It will be a hybrid between sales and marketing, which will then be responsible for nurturing those people via human methods across these different social channels. Um, And that's how we'll we'll be able to break through the noise because automated digital methods will be filtered out by all those devices. Uh,
1: Last question here, Matt. Uh, How can our listeners find out more about you and your upcoming book and uh, everything that, that you're working on right now?
0: My last book was called Marketing Automation for Dummies, um, and it is bombastic. Bad, bombastic for me to say, but I, I truly believe that the, a lot of the things that I outlined in that book are they're they're researched theories uh, and their marketing theories. And I look at marketing as um, as more of a, a simplistic idea. Right. So let me ask you a couple quick questions to help prove this point. How many pitches can a, a pitcher throw in, in professional baseball? How many different types of pitches, such as curveball, slider, how many are there? Five to ten. Yeah, all right, so how many different types are on a, a PGA professional golf bag? How many different clubs can they carry in a tournament?
1: Uh, ten to 15.
0: There you go. All right. Now, quarterback. All of the plays that a quarterback needs for an entire game can sit on a card on his wrist. So my point being on all these things is if you look at – the scenarios that these people are faced with and the complexities that they're faced with, they can execute all these things with a limited number of tools, right? They've got 10 to 15 clubs, five pitches, um, you know, a, a couple of different plays. We as marketers need to understand that it operates the same for us. Uh, so in that book, Marketing Automation for Dummies, I outline essentially what I call the, the basics of nurturing, right? There's essentially five basic nurturing programs we have to understand. And if you can understand the theory of those, you can then Reformat them, rechange them, and then use them in bits and pieces together to make very, very complex scenarios. Um, but it, it's the building blocks that we need to realize and understand. So I outline those in that one. Um, the new book that I've got coming out called Infinite Marker, which will be coming out in uh, 2016, um, will then be taking it to the future and tackle this idea of infinite noise. That's the problem. Uh, the solution is being the infinite marketer, understanding what it will take the, the understanding the next major problem we face is not that it is a um, more empowered buyer, but it is, is a buyer with much, much more friction or what we call more barriers to actually even getting a message to them uh, in the future. So that's kind of the, what the next book is. And then um, you can find me on Twitter at m. Sweezy. And yes, if you read it wrong, it, it looks like Ms. Sweezy. And so yeah, yeah, I've got some i
1: got, got some fun things going on. Nice. Awesome. Well th- thanks again, Matt, for joining me today. This has been this has been solid, man. This has been a good conversation.
0: Oh awesome. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you asking.
1: Yeah, of course. Also, thank you so much to our listeners for following along. To find out more about BAB Nation, including our HR, IT, and Lead Generation Edition, check out our website, technologyadvice.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, and only if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes.